The latest case took place just this month. Ten Veterans Affairs employees in Florida and five outsiders concocted a bribery and kickback procurement operation to defraud the government of millions. Though rare, procurement fraud is a persistent problem. Now a former Air Force procurement official has put together a book on the topic. David Robbins is now a partner at the law firm Kroll & Mooring, and he joins me now in studio. David, good to have you in. Thanks so much for having me, Tom. First of all, the big picture here. Procurement fraud still has the power to shock because in most people's minds, it's pretty rare. And therefore, in our system, when you hear about a case, people say, oh, my, how rare is it? Well, it depends on the spectrum of procurement fraud. The government uses it broadly from a business mistake up into out-and-out intentional criminal fraud, which is your lead in what you just mentioned. The true out-and-out blatant criminal fraud like that, that is very rare. But what the government might consider more routine business mistakes they still treat as procurement fraud, and that is very common. Yeah, it's almost parallel to tax fraud, where the tax code is so complicated, anyone with a complicated return is guaranteed to make a mistake somewhere along the line. It's an excellent analogy, right? Because you can run afoul of the law depending on your intent or lack of intent. And the question really becomes, how above board do you deal with it? Are you open and transparent? Do you disclose to the government? Do you deal with it as you meant it, a mistake that can be remedied? Or do you hide behind the mistake, try and shield it, and that tends to make matters worse? And that does ratchet it up along the spectrum from technically fraudulent conduct the way the government might see it towards that out-and-out criminality we discussed earlier. Sure, like failure to comply with price reduction clauses, for example. That catches a lot of big companies, and then they have big fines. They do, but there's a tried-and-true method for dealing with that, and you see a lot of disclosures to, for example, the GSA Office of Inspector General saying, here's what we think we've done wrong, and there's a pretty robust program for validating that, dealing with that, and truing up making the government whole. And that's a very frequently used program. Yeah, so in general, if a company discovers because of its own good controls, and you would assume at this day and age public company, publicly traded companies or large contractors that might be private should have world-class controls because we live in an age of compliance, really. Compliance officer is important as the top legal officer nowadays, that if if they can self-disclose, the government won't take it in a punitive way. Is that fair also to say? Very fair. And the government's come out even this year with a number of warnings and reminders that we will give credit for these disclosures and they want robust compliance programs. The real challenge lies these days, I believe anyway, In the small and rapidly growing companies we see across our region here, which have perhaps inadvertently outgrown their internal controls without realizing it by focusing on their business growth. That's where the danger is. Sure. Is there any particular area of mistake or nondisclosure that tends to characterize these? Are there trends you've spotted? Well, still the most common government claim and allegation involves the False Claims Act, right? Submitting a claim for money while not complying with material terms of the contract. And that can have some real pain associated with it because that can treble your damages and have per invoice penalties. But that's pretty broad, a pretty large catch-all. I can't say there's one necessary trend, but you said the price reduction clause, certainly right. Uh, Improper goods or services at the wrong time, whether they're counterfeit parts or schedule slippage, you name it. Uh, another very common area, but it takes all kinds. And in the out-and-out criminal category, a lot of bribes, kickbacks, similar misconduct like that. And also government contracts are not two-page simple things. There's boilerplate that sometimes runs 85 clauses or something, I've 85 pages I've heard. And I guess it's incumbent on people to know what's in every clause on every 85 page. But it seems like that's basically 
dangerous shoals that everybody is navigating across. Certainly, yes. I mean, if we were to stack the paper on this desk, it would rise potentially a foot or more off of it. So I'm not sure everybody performing on a contract needs to read the whole thing, but they had better make sure somebody does and they have a good compliance matrix and they're on board with what they need to be doing. We're speaking with David Robbins. He's a partner at Kroll and Mooring and editor of the Procurement Fraud Guidebook. And let's talk about the guidebook. How did you put it together and what's in it? I put it together over the course of about a year, looking at all the common laws, regulations and contract clauses that typically come up in procurement fraud cases and certainly in the last five to 10 years have been at common features. And that embodies basically two-thirds of the book. The first third is the insider's perspective. I, I ran the Air Force's Procurement Fraud Remedies Program globally for years, and what I found is there's a variety of regulations, instructions, statutes, and guidance that's available but buried. You have to know where to look. So I tried to put that together in an easily accessible way because you've got to understand the system to be able to communicate effectively. And as we talked about earlier, make sure you're dealing with a business mistake rather than something that perhaps takes on an unintentionally worse tenor than intended. Yeah, so that gives special credence to the term insider threat. We think of that in cybersecurity terms, but someone on your own staff as a company that is bent on malfeasance, that's something you really got to worry about too as part of this whole compliance matrix. Absolutely, yes. I mean, look, I think the analogy, and certainly not mine, but I heard it this way, in any community of any size, there's always a jail. There's always going to be misconduct. The obligation is to have controls in place to prevent and detect, and when mistakes arise, disclose and then close the loophole that permitted it. So the handbook is aimed basically at corporations, or can the government, do you think, read it and understand some things it can do better as a result? Plenty of my former colleagues in the government have read it. I think they're a little frustrated by the defense focus bent on it now, however, but they have told me they found it quite useful in understanding the laws, the regulations, and giving them ideas as well. It really is focused on contractors and lawyers on the defense side primarily to understand a system that might be second nature to the government, but less so on the outside. And if there are not really any particular overriding trends in the form of problems that get companies in trouble, is there any pattern or is there a common control or set of controls that companies tend to overlook? Yes. Companies do a very good job when they impose these systems. They put the compliance programs in place at the front end with some comprehensive thought, but they don't go back and revisit. You've got to be looking at these every year. Where are we falling down? What problems have we seen and why? What are the root causes? And give some conscious thought to how that happened. That's both required by the contract, by FAR Business Ethics and Compliance and Conduct Clause, uh, and common sense good practice. I mean, one of the common sense good practices is to force your accountants to take vacations at different times and so forth. Is it also wise to rotate your customer-facing contacts so that they're not facing the same customers for years and years and years? I can see where you're going. I'm not entirely sure the loss of the learning of what the customer needs is a necessity, but someone looking over the shoulder at their expenses, their conduct, what they're doing with some comprehensive check-ins is probably a good idea. You know, because customers and reps in any field, even you know, outside of government contracting, can get chummy. That doesn't necessarily mean they're malfeasant, but it, it maybe provides a greater environment for that to happen. Yes, and the line can blur between customer and friend and then the who's paying for whose drinks or meal, which really should be separate and segregated, that can blur over time as well. And that's a really hard, bright line in the public sector. Absolutely, yes, because we're dealing with taxpayer dollars. So even the perspective that we are giving 
favoritism to somebody who might have bought us a lunch that would not have otherwise influenced any behavior really matters. Any cases in your experience in protecting the names of the innocent and the guilty, but any circumstances that stand out in your mind as, wow, let's not have this happen again? Yes. Well, look, in the government, I had a thousand cases come across my desk a year, sometimes a little more, sometimes less. So there's not a fact pattern I haven't seen, but a few real staggering ones is companies, despite buying a problem, not really stepping up and integrating within an existing compliance program, just sort of hoping things will get better on their own. The problem is less the underlying conduct. It's when you find out about it, how do you fix it and do you react appropriately and responsibly? That brings it from one category of violation to opening up all the various parallel remedies the government can impose on a company. And it makes it very hard to be trusted going forward. It's almost unrecoverable. So best advice then is to have a ton of bricks and not be afraid to push it over. Sure. David Robbins is a partner at Kroll & Mooring. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. He's also editor of the Procurement Fraud Guidebook. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand and on your device. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.